Welcome to the Above Board Podcast. We finally have a date for Fathom version 3. All right, my friend. Uh, it's good to be back on the podcast with you. It's been a while. Crocodile. It's been a few minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have our reasons. We always do. Things have been heating up and really getting crazy in a really good way. In a way where I kind of I can't contain myself sometimes over how excited I am as we're building this thing. Same. As I say it in the least excited voice possible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we have had some exciting news this morning. What what has happened? Well, are we allowed to say this? I guess we're going to say it. I guess we're going to say it. It's been said. It has been said. Uh, GitHub is using us on a project, which is awesome because we use GitHub all day, every day. We do indeed. So as of this morning, they launched a website. Uh, it was actually, it might have been out for a while. Adam Wathen tweeted that they were using Tailwind. And then someone replies and says, oh, they're using Fathom too. So I, I woke up, I checked Twitter and I see that and I think, yeah, I don't think they are. I look at the source code and what do you know it? They are using Fathom, which is, which is the biggest publicly declared company using us, right? We have we have big companies using us that we can't talk about, mm-hmm. but GitHub is definitely the biggest one that's out in the public. Because our rule is that we can never announce that someone's using Fathom from privileged information we have. Kind of like an NDA, yeah. right? If something comes out in the public and it's, you know, perhaps the, the press um, talks about it, it doesn't apply under the NDA anymore. Whereas with our customers, if someone's noticed it and tweeted about it in the public realm, that's public information. Exactly. But, um, like the, um... I didn't even realize... That's awesome. I know. Same. It was. Uh, I saw Adam's tweet as well, and I was like, "Oh, okay. This is a uh, this is a good way to start the morning." I literally. This is my. This has been my morning. I woke up at five thirty. Saw Adam's tweet because I checked Twitter because I'm apparently addicted. Um, saw Adam's tweet, and I thought, "Oh, that's really cool." Went back to bed. Woke up at seven thirty and saw a tag saying that they're using <laughs> us as well. So that was pretty surreal. It really was. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about this. I'm happy about this because we can talk about it. <laughs> it's funny to yeah. get some of these clients and to talk to some of these people that we talk to and not be able to do anything or say anything. And so for this, it was like when I saw um, uh, Manuel Acho, the Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, his website. Oh, yeah. And I looked at his website and then I looked at the source code and I was like, oh, wait, this is... <laughs> <laughs> and again, that was another site that was using Tailwind um, and Fathom. So, yep. I, yeah, I like when it's not privileged information and we can brag a little bit about it. Yeah, and it's, it's tricky because it does have to come from someone else because yes. we can't just say, oh, someone's a customer. Let's go and check their website. Oh, it's not privileged info. That just feels wrong. So when someone actually caught, I, actually, honest to God, I didn't even know that this was on GitHub's radar. Um, so this caught me completely off guard. So I'm very, it's a pleasant surprise. So I'll take that. Yeah. So one other thing we'll get to before we talk about version three and what's currently happening behind the scenes. Um, myself and, and Paul are now big time investors. In crypto. Yep. Well, that's specific. We're now, um, we've now gone all in on Dogecoin. Yeah. So all of our revenue is now going towards 
Dogecoin. Yes, and if you want to pay for Fathom accounts using Dogecoin, no, just kidding. That's not going to happen. Why not? No, 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 hold on. You uh, choke, but why not? We did the first project. We did it. I don't know yeah. how many people know this, but I think the very first project you and I did together was a Bitcoin high score website where people could just give us Bitcoin and they got on a high score page. And that was literally the start and the finish and the entirety of the of the thing that we built. And, you know, you, you talk about or people talk about having an audience and launching software that is a great example where if you didn't have an audience everyone would have ignored that mm-hmm. so this this project that we built it was really cool at a technical level we definitely did some cool stuff there we we played around with some new technology did a lot of research but it was literally just you pay money you pay sorry you pay cryptocurrency probably worth fifty thousand dollars now paul yeah um to, <laughs> to rank on a high scoreboard and people paid it and i think well we copied it from someone that was doing it with real money yeah. is that right yeah, yeah. And we made, what would we make? Made about $500,000? I forget the exact easily, figure. Easily, easily. I mean, Was it more than that? At okay. least. If we hadn't it cashed out, it would be worth, yeah, millions. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> of course. So we're now we're all in on Doge. Doge. Is it Doge? Or someone called it Doge. Mm, if they're wrong, <laughs> you ca- that's what you call it if you're wrong. It's Doge. Yes, Doge. Yes. Yeah. I don't Doge, think it's yes. like GIF versus JIF. I think it just literally is pronounced Doge. So well, only psychopaths call it GIF. Yes. I've never heard, you know, a non-psychopath call it. <laughs> so much excited, many growth, Dogecoin. Always. It's so silly. So don't you think it's kind of, just to stay on this topic for a second, don't you think it's weird that Elon was like all in on hyping internet about Dogecoin and then like two or three days later, Tesla was like, we're all in on Bitcoin. You yeah. It was weird. I mean, I mean, I own Bitcoin too, but like. I've, and now I own Dogecoin as well, but like not a whole lot. Like it's a very insignificant amount of Dogecoin. It's more just for fun, which I think is how most uh, yeah. people invest in Dogecoin. It's just... Okay. And Dogecoin is literally a, a, a for fun currency. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was a kid, I knew what Bitcoin was. I'm pretty sure. And this is where I want to find some old computers and see if I have any Bitcoin. I'm pretty sure that I downloaded the tools and did the mining. I don't recall because I would have been really young. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is just, you know, this is just for fun. Um, so I know, it, I guess Dogecoin was invented for fun. But the point I'm making is that Dogecoin may be just a fun currency, but it has a $7 billion market cap. <laughs> and regardless, I mean, don't put all your life savings into it. Idiots that remortgage their house for Bitcoin. I mean, just no. Why? Yeah. You know, there is still diversification. It's just like when people were buying stonks. It's like if, you, if you're hearing about this and it's that popular, you might have already missed Too the late. boat on it i mean i bought bitcoin, bitcoin years though. ago and i sold all of my holdings of bitcoin and bought a car so, eh, many years i don't know how many years ago i bought Not that bad. one probably five years ago four years ago but now i'm like i might as well put like a very insignificant amount of money um into it as well it's diversification i have a bunch of different so you sold your bitcoin and bought a car yes who do you think you are <laughs> i don't know oh my goodness my goodness it was just fun. again it was just like i need to buy like a couple hundred dollars worth of this and then it skyrocketed no it did. no no no. you're not saying that you bought a hundred you did not buy a few hundred dollars now, it might have been at that it might have been it might have been one or two thousand dollars that i spent and you bought a car yes that's insane this is honestly it's so weird and there is this kind of this fear of missing out the fomo people talk about mm-hmm. and i do feel that but at the same time as i said to you the other day i'm more interested in doing things that i can control I know we can't control everything in the business and I'll put in, 
you know, I definitely share your opinion of, you know, I'll put in a little bit here just to enjoy the ride. So then if there's news about Dogecoin, or in your case, Bitcoin as well, we can laugh about it because we're yeah. uh, we're in in ways. And I think the other thing, like I was looking at just my, because the majority of my savings for retirement or whatever you want to call it, for, for getting older and having money is, because I don't, retirement just sounds funny, is um, <laughs> the majority of my investments are just in index funds, which yeah. everybody thinks are boring. I've made more off Boring's of good. I've made more off of that investment than any of these other stupid things that I've done. Right? Yeah. Because it's just it's boring. I don't check it very often. It doesn't do much. It gets, I don't know, between five and seven percent returns every year, but it adds up over time. And I've been putting money into index funds for I guess about twenty years now. And it adds it adds up. And at some point, it'll be worth enough money where that's going to be the bulk of my revenue outside of Fathom, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, and that would be well, neat. You do what you do. What Josh? I mean, I saw Josh Pigford doing this. You will also play around with stocks with small amounts of money as well. Yeah, like, you will like in the hundreds in the of dollars, in. I'll yeah. buy stocks. Same with um, investing. Like I invest in um, Ernest Capital and um a couple other a couple other like rolling funds but like it's not a it's not a huge amount of money it's just uh hey maybe this thing could work out this is like a cool thing this is i believe in the the values of the business as doing the investing and the companies that they're investing in so just give it a try who knows which uh beautifully positions the next topic Indie indie business funding or bootstrapper funding. You mentioned Ernest Capital. Another one that I think is really interesting is the Tiny Seed by Rob, Rob Wallings, Yeah. So those two seem to be the two funds that you go to if you're in. Because it's interesting because we speak out against venture capital, and obviously we're not in a position where we need funding from anyone, which is nice. But it does interest me. Um, so they will give you. A, uh, Rob gives one hundred twenty thousand or something, 100, 100 to one hundred twenty, I believe, for ten to twelve percent. And then Ernest Capital is a revenue sharing model, right? Um, kind of, yeah. And it's how, it's how does that the work? investment. Oh, fuck! Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> you just yeah. But it enough. is a it is a small investment. Like I think it's between fifty and one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And so the reason why I like that and I don't like venture capital is because it's not a hyper growth focused thing like it's not a yeah. you are going Unicorn. to ipo or or fizzle out it's a, a mentorship and investment in the business in the long term which i think is good and i also think it, it it makes sense like i would never take funding personally but i've also been in this business for a long time i can start a company like fathom with you where I don't have to mortgage my house to do it. And I think there yeah, are sure. some entrepreneurs in a place where they have a good idea and they might have proven the market out a little bit, but they just don't have that space to work on the project and have enough money to live, right? And I think that's a place where it's like, okay, well, if I can invest in founders who might have might be able to build something really great and not be interested in this hyper-growth VC model, then... If they can get 50 grand and that's the thing that takes them from not being able to work on it to being able to work on it full time for a year to see if it can work out, then that seems like a good thing to me. Another thing, another value that I saw from companies like that is if if you haven't got any experience in marketing or you lack a certain skill, they could potentially bring it to the table. So you have mentors in Mm -hmm. both companies, I believe. The idea being that 
those mentors act like consultants because they've got skin in the game. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. You can't be a mentor in earnest capital. It's probably the same with Tiny, but I don't know because I don't invest with them. But you can't be a mentor in earnest capital unless you're also an investor. Right. So like you said, it's a skin in the game kind of thing. And it's it's a good group of people. And it's like I was looking when I was doing my uh, diligence on the fund. I was looking at all the other people who've invested and like I'm friends with <laughs> a lot of those people. Like yeah. I talked to um, quite a few people about the fund first. and I was like, I know these people like um, Natalie from Wildbit or Adi from Cogsy, I think something oh, like that. Anyways. Sure. Yeah. So it's like, it's just a good group of people who are involved in it and I know them and I could just have a, be like, Hey, is this worth it? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that makes it a good idea for me so i mean i know who rob walling is who is do you know tyler trinkus is that his name who is who is he what's he done um i don't know i don't he's just a friend of yours yeah like i mean i know him on i i wouldn't say a friend but i'm friendly with him i know him mm-hmm. on twitter what i ha, the i've talked to him and been happy with those conversations it's more i know the a bunch of other people who are investors in the fund and i'm like okay if this gotcha. is good enough yep. for them um, and I like the way he runs the fund. I get, I get updates. It's a, there's a focus on mentorship. He does calls. Like it's very hands-on, um, or it's as hands-on as you want it to be as an investor. Cause I told him, I'm like, I can be a mentor, but only for probably half of the time. Like right now you and yeah. I are all in on V3. I don't have time yes. to mentor other people. Once we get that out the door and the dust settles a bit, then I'll have time to spend more time in the community and help in ways where I think I can be of value. That makes total sense. Yeah, so the big thing what you said that appeals to me, so they're, they're basically there to help you grow your business at a sustainable pace. They obviously want to make money as well, but they're not looking for hyper growth, kind of unicorn, boom or bust, which actually they fixed capital in a way because we talk about venture capital the big things that come up are that obsession with hyper growth but also giving away a lot of well i guess compromising on your ethics because you're chasing that growth mm-hmm. uh, with 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 these companies it sounds like you just build your business how how you plan to take advice uh, i mean derek derek uh, rima rima i always forget how to pronounce same name. sorry derek it, t- that, that, <laughs> He's taken money from Tiny C, yeah. um, and I, and he's building his business, and it's not in a gross way. It's actually, it's, you know, there's a kind of there's a group of businesses, and I always think of you know Tuple Transistor, Fathom, and I'm starting to think Savvy Cow as well. These independent businesses that are just, I can I've included us in this, so now it sounds arrogant, <laughs> but are just kicking ass and you know building up their business in a sustainable way not looking for tons and tons of capital and going crazy and it's really interesting to me and i think i'm being more careful with how i talk about investment publicly because i don't want to give off the vibe that i'm anti-investment because you know i don't want to make people feel bad about if they're taking investment and i've realized that i'm not anti-investment i'm anti-vc mm-hmm that, that's pretty much where I stand. I mean, if we needed money, we don't, I mean, it's tricky because we don't need money. But if we did, I'd work with Rob or Tyler. Same. Wouldn't you? Yeah, if same. we really needed money. Yeah, no. And they're not paying us to say this, by the way. It's just been on my mind. <laughs> I've been listening to some of their stuff. But, and, but that's the thing though, right? Like I got somebody, and it happens like every week, somebody tweeted me because I was talking about Fathom is growing 
And they were like, what do you mean you're growing Fathom? Like, I thought you wrote Company of One. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, where in the, show me the line in the book where I said I'm anti-growth. And just like investment, somebody, somebody came at me because I was writing about, when I had a newsletter, I was writing about being an investor in, um, in Tiny Fund. And they're like, oh, you wrote a whole book that's anti-investment. I'm like, show me the line that says I'm anti-investment in the book. It's not true. I'm anti-venture start- capital. Yeah. You should start saying to these people that the publisher cut off the title and the original is Company of One Million Percent Growth. Yes. That was the original title. Exactly. Go play with that. Stonks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's just been on my mind a lot recently. All right. I can't believe I have to say this, but let's talk about V3. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, for sure. So right now we're doing a big, big migration. One of the hardest probably the hardest things I've done in my career is this migration because we're bringing data together and we're structuring it in a certain way. We've re I mean, the, the user interface has been completely and utterly rebuilt so much more functionality, flexibility, and we haven't compromised on the simplicity of the dashboard, which is one of the big reasons why it took a little bit of time Mm -hmm. because I was pushing for more. You were pushing back. So Paul is the defender of simplicity so as I'm pushing for more, you're pushing back and we always end up in this middle ground. So we found a middle ground and then we decided that that middle ground was really bad. And this was a long time ago now. I mean, it's funny how quickly the year, the year uh, last year moved. But we're now, we've now got this beautiful product where we balance simplicity, flexibility and functionality. And it's just, it's great. I mean, UTM tags, UTM drill down, page drill down, referrer drill down, goal drill down. It's just incredible. And we've been hyping, I mean, you more than me have been hyping it up on yeah. Twitter and people are, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people are crazy for it. It's, it's just absolutely, yeah. And the migration is just hard. We're moving to something much, much faster. We're investing a little bit more money and yeah, we just want it to be really fast for everyone. So why is, the, so w- why is this the hardest thing you've done in your career? Um, because of the size of the data. So if the data was a few thousand rows or even, you know, version one to version two, it was maybe tens of millions. We're now dealing with hundreds of millions. So we're having to scale the migrations and people, you know, you can just use ETLs and and that kind of thing. But I like to process it through Laravel. So I have to structure it in a way that isn't going to take the database offline, which in all honesty, that's what I'm working through right now. And to the technical folks out there, I'm probably just going to deploy a read read replica and just not worry about the database because you know i run this on a production database you've got to be pretty pretty careful else things can go you know really wrong why do you need to get it why does it need to be like just right like what's i'm trying to drill into the why it involves yeah. the, the stress that it, that it does well a, a, a huge thing is getting the indexes right so you have various access patterns to your data so you might you filter it in certain ways you need to make sure that if you don't do it right at the start, you then have to come back at a point in the future and redo the indexes. And that's what I'm trying to avoid. So right now, I want us to be in a position where we can focus down on feature development and don't have to worry about data for a long time. And because of that, it means that A, things have to be fast. Um, things ha- I want to have a problem. I want to be in a situation where we can just throw money at the problem. Mm. And I, I know that isn't necessarily, you know, cost of ownership is very important to a lot of people. But for us at this point throwing money at things is a good solution for us so getting the foundation as good as possible as we grow throwing more money at it more resources so it can just grow and perform at a ridiculously high speed 
Now we, we were going to go with elastic and honestly elastic probably w- elastic would have been fine. Um, I had Peter spend a lot of time with me giving me some great advice and it probably would have been fine. But a huge problem with elastic was as we were getting to the end of it and you know we migrated successfully everything was looking good. It dawned on me that we'd have to actually rewrite everything in our code base to use elastics. I think they was it JSON they use um, for retrieval. Whereas everything we have is already in SQL. So I would rather use something that is um, SQL based. So, and that's what we've done. And I'm going to be talking about this more in the future. I'm, I'm a bit kind of holding back on what I want to share at the moment until it's all done. Because literally I'm the guy that's been sharing the whole story and we've pivoted technologies like three times. Yeah. But, but here's the thing though, as we discussed the other day, without all these pivots and without this in-depth exploration, we wouldn't have arrived on this truly beautiful solution that we have done. And it, in you talking about that, I see all of the parallels with what I've been working through on the UI and the UX, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, there's a whole version of Fathom that nobody's ever going to see that I went from 0% to 100% finished, left it for a month, came back to it and was like, <laughs> this isn't good enough. And I redesigned the whole thing. And I'm not just talking here because I think some people don't really understand. And that's my fault for not explaining it correctly. The redesign isn't to make it look better. It's to make it work better. So the, yeah. the problem and why V3 is taking the amount of time that it's taking, because on the data side and on the, um, the design side, is that we built Fathom V2, like when you came on board and Danny went to become a teacher, you came on board and we built out V2 pretty quickly. And a few months. Yeah. But, and it had a very, it had a very specific feature set. So all of the ways that you can interact with the application were based on there being like two or three things that you could do with a dashboard. And that was about it. Now we have probably 20, 30 things you can do with a dashboard or more. And so it doesn't, you can't just keep adding features into the same settings page, for example. The foundation, yeah, Yeah. the foundation isn't there to support it. Because it it doesn't work. And that's why we're having to make this big jump from V2 to V3, because we need to make it work in a way where it's not just set for the things that we're building into it now, but we want it to be set for the future. So if we add another feature down the road, which we already have pages and pages of notes on like post V3 things we want to do, that's really cool. We don't have to take a step back for like a year, work through everything. We can just focus on that feature and not focus on how that impacts every other piece of the software. And I think that's really important to kind of get to because what you're talking about with the data is exactly the same thing as I was dealing with on the front end, where it's like this one thing and people could be like, well, just add this one feature. It'll take like a very small amount of time. And it's like, no, it won't. It impacts yeah. all of the other aspects of the thing that you're building. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's it's been a lot of work, but I'm really happy with where things are at. I'm really happy with the speed at which the data uh, is being worked with um, with our newest solution. I love the design of it, and we I've, we've been working with it internally for probably a month, month and a half with with the new UI. And I still like it, which is saying a lot because I'm a designer. So I'll, I'll make something. And then as soon as I start using it, I'm like, yeah, this isn't so good. This I'm actually really happy with. and I'm still really happy with. And I always laugh with your designs because 
we actually, going back in time, we actually rebuilt version one in a month mm-hmm. because we were taking things over. We were incorporating, you know, the company in Canada and we took things over and then we were building version two alongside our other work. I was still freelancing. Yeah. I was right, re- and I had to take time off of that. And I remember thinking, "Oh, you know, I'm losing money because I, had to, you know, I had to sacrifice money because I was I was building hours." Yeah, and we did that, and then version two was out. But we, di- yeah, we didn't innovate really on the data or or anything. I suppose you did a new dashboard. And it's funny because when you launched version two, when we went live with that, I remember thinking, "This is the best thing ever. Like, we've <laughs> peaked on the design side." Yeah. I thought, "This is we've we've peaked." And now I go when I go from V three to V two, um, it's there's a whole new level and I'm so excited for people to get their hands on it. It's a whole new level. It just feels so good. And it's funny because V3, are we calling it V3.1? The one where you had this kind of space style font. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like that font and I couldn't say why. And then you just completely changed things up. And now it's so smooth. It's just, it's gorgeous is the word to use. Yeah. And uh, people are going to love using it and people are going to love having, you know, Google search console in their dashboard and drilling down and, you know, various other things, dynamic goal parameters, all this stuff. So, yeah. I, and so it isn't excited. that it's- much. And here's the thing too, if you're worried that like, oh, this is going to look so much different. And I know every time any no. site relaunches a rebrand, people are like, oh, I hate it. It isn't that much different. Like it isn't. It isn't like, oh my God, I don't even know what this thing is anymore. Is this even Fathom? It isn't that much different. The dashboard does fundamentally still look like a Fathom dashboard. And we kind of created that aesthetic in the analytics space. I'm 100% going to take credit for that because it didn't exist until we built it. And now it's everywhere. And now everybody's like, analytics products look the same. You've been designing for our competitors. Yeah. All all analytics products look the same because they all took cues from what I've done. But I, it's not going to be that much. It's not going to be that much different. But it's subtle refinements that I think people are really going to enjoy. Absolutely, yeah. So when I say about all this new stuff, yeah, it's um, it still feels like fathom. But it really, what you can accomplish in this simple dashboard, it's just more flexible. And like Google Search Console, you don't even have to use it. It's actually designed so that you can just press dismiss if you don't. You know, you see Google Search Console and you think, no, nah, I don't want this. Yeah. Dismiss. <laughs> Done. Yeah. I still think Google Search Console is probably one of the best and most privacy-focused products that Google's built because it doesn't tie user, at least that you can see as a consumer, you don't see PI, you don't see personal information, personal data in Google Search Console. You see the data in aggregate, which sounds like how Fathom works, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's cool. Well, who knows, actually? Pardon? Who knows? You, do we know this? Um, well, just as a consu- <laughs> from a consumer standpoint, you can't yeah. drill into Google Search Console anywhere and see um, personal information that I can find. If I'm wrong in this, definitely let me know. And you better believe when Fathom has an integration with Google Search Console, it will be in the most privacy-focused way possible. But from what I can tell by clicking around in Google Search Console, there's no personal information that I can see. It's all based on searches and on queries. So you can't filter by race and, and gender or Not that like I can that. find. There might be a secret oh, panel. Damn. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't move fast and break things. We move at a reasonable pace and we do things properly. Yeah. And we don't sell data. Yes. Yeah. I want to make sure things don't break. <laughs> that would suck if it broke. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. So that comes, that br- comes, that brings us to the end of the 
latest episode of Above Board with Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis. We hope you've enjoyed this, and if you'd like to pay for Fathom with Dogecoin, please email paul at usefathom.com. <laughs> I'm sure we can find a way to make this work. <laughs> if it instantly converted to US dollars. Yeah. It's just the accounting now. The account, I mean, with you know, the accounting would be a headache. I don't, so. Yeah, I don't want to let our accountants know, hey, we're taking Dogecoin. <laughs> <laughs> you can send that email. <laughs> Oh dear. Anyway, so I hope everyone has a great weekend or a great week whenever you're listening to this. Hey, and also thank you to everyone who's tuning in and is a new listener and has been listening recently. Um, slowly but surely our list, our downloads are really increasing yeah. and I've seen within the first 30 days and we don't market this. Outside of the podcast app, we don't do any marketing. We maybe do a few tweets, but not always. Yeah. And so thank you for everyone that's tuning in. We do appreciate it. And if you ever want to you know, tag us on Twitter and say... Can you talk about this? We will.